Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we have been doing a series uh, on the life of Paul. Um, and this morning, we're going to be finishing that series up. And we have the absolute joy of Chris joining us this morning. Um, so let's give him a good welcome. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know Chris, Chris and Jen. Jen isn't here? Is no, she? no, she's, no, with she's David. wrangling okay. David. He's getting his first haircut this morning. <laughs> Oh, are you videoing it? Uh, possibly. It depends whether we can get him to sit still in the chair or not. It's pretty <laughs> unlikely, so he may not actually have a haircut by the end of the process. But, but it's fun to yeah. give it a go. David's two. So, um, so Chris yeah. and Jen are our evening community pastors, uh, and, and David is very much a part of that team. Uh, he has been leading services all the yeah. way through COVID, hasn't he? Doesn't he doesn't have an employment contract because that's illegal. But <laughs> At that age. Soon, yeah. <laughs> but he's certainly been on screen, which has been so lovely to watch him. Um, and uh, we, we love Chris and Jen, uh, not only because we get to do ministry together and all these kind of things, but also because we have a, a friendship that's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. I was looking at a photo of Rob from his 30th birthday, and um, I was like, oh my gosh, we've known each other a long time. Yes, I think I got one for yeah. my 30th as well when you guys were dating. Yes, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, that was a good night, actually. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just hang, just, just, just leave we're us just a sec. We're just going to have a little catch-up, so, uh, and um, <laughs> we'll come back to you shortly. No, um, but we are very grateful, and uh, one of the things that particularly, um, we love lots of things about both of them, but that we particularly love um, about Chris is just his heart for teaching. Um, and actually, Chris was the one who put the series together, which we're so incredibly grateful for, and Chris and I often work together on sort of series and things like that. Um, and so we are really excited to hear him speak. I know you guys have kind of seen him on screen, and you guys get to see him on screen again. Um, but I know for some of you, this is probably the first time in the flesh. Uh, so can I pray for you? Can I pray for us? And Absolutely. then we can kick off. So why don't you just reach out a hand with me? So Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've put on Chris's heart this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would uh, just speak through him the things that you want to say into our hearts, Lord. Father, for some of us, um, yeah, you just want to illuminate things. You want to bring to light things that have been in the dark. And I just pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to hear all that you have to say to us. So bless Chris and give him all he needs this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Bon. Just while I'm getting my things ready, um, I was reflecting uh, a few days ago with Jenny and David um, about the fact that in the evening community, there's been a bit of a trend set where whenever we record videos for church, there's always a coffee machine in the background. And, um, and I was, yeah, I was going to bring my coffee machine along and just put it in the background, but um, I, I just didn't quite get the time this morning to unplug it and take all the water out and do that. So I'm just going to have to make do. You'll just have to imagine a coffee machine behind me. It's, um, oh, it's so nice to be back in person. This is the first time in a very long time I've spoken in front of not just a camera. Um, and yeah, it's just really good to be with you. So thanks, Rob and Mon, for letting me come. 
Um, so as Bonnie said, we are wrapping up. Uh, so we've spent the last seven weeks looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. And I think you'll agree with me that he was a pretty extraordinary guy. Uh, we heard about his very radical conversion. We uh, heard about his early struggle to fit in as uh, this, he went from being uh, a persecutor of Christians to being one of Christianity's most vocal uh, supporters. We have heard about some of the highlights and some of the lowlights of his ministry. He certainly wasn't perfect, although um, I would suggest he's a wonderful example to follow in uh, Christian faith. Um, but this morning, we are going to be learning about what effectively is the end of Paul's public ministry. Now, when you read through the book of Acts, you'll uh, find that it kind of comes very broadly in three segments. There's the first 10 chapters with, which deal with what happened before Paul got converted. And then the next 10 chapters talk about Paul's public ministry, his journeys all around the known world uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus. And then the last eight chapters very much deal with Paul's imprisonment uh, and, and his trial. Um, now, this series, it's really looking at those middle 10 chapters. So Paul's public ministry. And tonight, oh, t- tonight, can you tell him he's still preaching in the evening? <laughs> I even wrote morning in big letters just so I wouldn't do that. But now I have. Um, this morning, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the end of Paul's public ministry, and it's quite an emotional passage. Uh, and there are a lot of things that we could say from this passage. I love the way that the scripture is alive, uh, and it can speak so well into so many different circumstances. But uh, this morning, I nearly said it again. This morning, uh, I think that uh, the scripture that God wants to speak to us about finishing well. We, you probably noticed it's been a time of transition and change the last two years. I, th- I think we can all agree that's been a thing. But it's not the end of the transition. I don't know if you've read uh, recently in the newspapers about something called the Great Resignation. Has anyone heard about that? So some, some nods, a lot of uh, people haven't. Um, so the Boston Globe reported that in the months of April and June in the US, 8 million people voluntarily left their jobs. That's a lot of people. Uh, there was a PricewaterhouseCoopers survey that suggested that 65% of Americans are currently considering leaving their job or changing jobs. That's huge. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that that we're not going to go into. But one of the things that is really clear is that this COVID season has forced a lot of people to reevaluate what their lives look like, whether they're really happy with their current circumstances. And the people who are lucky enough to have some control over their circumstances are thinking about change. And uh, all the best experts say that we're, we're headed towards something similar in Australia as, as we move into the new year in March when everyone's got their bonuses Um, and so I want to suggest that we, not only we've been through a time of significant change, but we're coming into another one. And so I think that in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us a masterclass in how to navigate these threshold moments. So if you have a Bible handy, uh, why don't you pull it out? We're going to be reading from Acts 20. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you brought a little pile of different translations, that's the one to grab. Uh, If you're on your phone, just switch it to the NLT. If not, I'm sure you'll survive. Uh, And just while you're flipping to that passage, 
Uh, I want to give this a little bit of context for what we're about to read. So last week, uh, we talked about uh, Paul and Silas in prison. And we talked about their uh, kind of Holy Spirit prison break. We've skipped a few great stories between then and now. Um, Paul goes to Athens and takes on some of the greatest philosophical minds of the age. And according to the Bible, he does pretty well. Uh, Someone falls asleep in one of Paul's sermons, uh, falls out of a window and dies. So let that be a warning to any of you who are thinking about doing that. That's why we don't have anyone sitting in windows. I think that's why there's perspex up there. Um, But the good news is uh, that person gets raised from the dead and then everything is very wonderful. Um, After that story, by the Spirit, Paul uh, gets a sense that he needs to go uh, back to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Pentecost. And he has this, a, a bit of a sense of urgency around that. But along the way, on the journey from where he was to uh, back to Jerusalem, he stops in a fairly random place called Miletus, which is about 60 kilometers south of Ephesus, if you know the letter to the Ephesians. And that's where we pick up for this story. So Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start uh, from verse 16. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when he landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came from, to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even meet the needs of uh, those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. So what have we just read? Well, first of all, uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He stops somewhere and he calls for the Ephesian elders, who, like I said before, are about 60 kilometers north. And so they take the journey down to come and meet with him. Now, it's helpful to know Ephesus was one of Paul's great success stories in ministry. Uh, We know from the passage that Paul was there for about three years, and from the context, we gather that he had a fairly close relationship with these people. Now, when it says that he called for the elders of the church, it's not necessarily meaning the old folks, although maybe it could have meant that too. Um, But what the impression we get from the scripture is that this is Paul's, uh, it's his team. It's his closest friends. It's the people he worked really closely with and discipled in this church in Ephesus. Uh, and so they're the people that he had, uh, he had formed a really strong and close bond with. He's in a circle. And we get the impression from the text that he didn't go to Ephesus because he was in a hurry and he didn't want to get caught up. But he really did uh, want to meet with the elders before he went. Now, something that's really interesting about the speech that we've just read is this is the only speech we have recorded in the book of Acts. It's directed towards other Christians. And so throughout most of the rest of Acts, we really see Paul painted as this incredible, bold evangelist, which he certainly was. But here we get to see him in action as a pastor. And we see that the way that he led people spiritually was really beautiful. As Paul Uh, shares his closing address for his public ministry, it feels almost like um, a pastor's parting sermon to their congregation. He's saying that he's invested everything he has in them, he's held nothing back, and now it's your turn. It's your turn to continue the ministry that I have discipled you in for all of these years. In the middle, he drops a bit of a bombshell and says that, uh, that the elders will never see him again. Now, we don't quite know how Paul knows this. There is a prophecy that Paul's given, but that's not until the next chapter. Uh, So we don't know exactly how Paul knows this, but he knows, and it turns out to be true when we read through the book of Acts, that he doesn't get to see them again, although he does uh, write them a fairly important letter. Um, As the address comes to a close, they have um, a teary farewell. They pray together. In one of the versions, it says they wept together. They grieved together. Uh, And then they escort him to the boat, and he leaves. Now, I think sometimes when we read through the scriptures, we're reading about people that we've never met, in places we've never been, in a time that was very, very different to ours. And so it can be quite difficult to miss the level of emotion that is happening in this passage. You know, this is a huge moment in Paul's life. I wonder if you've had a moment that's a little bit like this, where you've had to make a big decision. Maybe you're leaving your job for something else. Maybe you're moving overseas or moving to a different city. Maybe the kids are leaving home. Uh, Maybe you're selling the family home. Or maybe you're finishing up uh, with your employment and moving into retirement. And 
in these kind of situations, it's not necessarily that it's a bad decision or, or that it's a, a bad change. It's that something you're stepping into something new and something good, but you recognize that there is a significant cost in leaving uh, in what you're leaving behind. When I was growing up, uh, my family had two dogs, and there's some photos for this bit, so Liz is going to pop uh, some of them up on the screen. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Over there. Um, they'll come up. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we grew up with two dogs. Uh, we got these dogs when I was five years old. We were down at St. Ives Shopping Center. Um, there's the little pet shop there. I don't know if some of you might know that. And uh, there we go. Yeah, that's me when I was 10. Um, always, always trendy. <laughs> Those cargo shorts are fantastic, aren't they? But um, we went down to Sunai Shops and we found these two dogs. And me and my sister ran to mum and dad and said, Mom, Dad, we found, we found some dogs. And, uh, and so we ended up, we, get, we got them. It was about five years old. And these dogs were awesome. They were, you can see uh, from the photo that they were sort of uh, cross Australian sheep dogs. They were very intelligent and very cheeky. They very much became part of the family. Uh, when, we were, when I was eight years old, we moved over to the States and we lived there for three years and we actually took the dogs with us. You can see the, the next slide. There we go. There's us in the snow. Um, and if anyone's tried to move overseas with pets before, you will know that it's like the most excruciating process ever. It basically became my mum's full-time job for six months just to get the dogs over there. And then uh, we, when we came back from the States... Uh, when I was 11, we brought them back with us again. So these dogs had been through uh, everything with us. And um, there was very much a sense that we were the family unit. There was uh, me and my sister, there was mum and dad, and there was Max and Sam. Now, unfortunately, Sam got very sick when I was about 15 years old. Uh, and so she passed away quite suddenly. But Max, she was like the energizer dog. She just kept going. Um, and for her, when she was 14 years old, which is very, very old, for a dog of her breed, um, she started to get a little bit of dementia. And at the start, it was actually really funny. <laughs> I feel a bit cruel saying that. But um, she just, yeah. But over time, um, it got worse and it got worse. And although her body was still going, um, there was the, this sense that the Max that we knew and loved had left the building. And so, of course, there comes that really difficult time, which many of you will know, where we had to decide to say goodbye. I mean, she was just going to keep going. Um, and we had to decide that the, the kindest thing was to say goodbye. And that was obviously very hard. But what made it even harder was the fact that this was my sister's last year in school. And so not only were we choosing to say goodbye to a member of our family, but it was also there was this sense that this was the end of an era. That the time that we'd had growing up and being a family with children at home was coming to a close. Uh, and that as, as we made this decision, we were stepping into a new season of our lives, having four adults in the house. You know, we all have these moments, don't we? As seasons come and go, where we have to make decisions. And they might be hard decisions, but we know they're the right ones. And we know that as we step out of one season and into another, that we'll, life will never look the same. We'll never be able to go back. And I think, hopefully, this helps us understand some of the emotion of what's going on in this passage for the Apostle Paul. And so I want to ask, what do we learn from this passage? What is, what is the scripture teaching us here? Um, how is Paul giving us a masterclass 
in navigating these threshold moments where we step from one season into another? Well, I want to suggest that there are seven things. Uh, And so we're going to go through them reasonably quickly. Um, But I wonder whether um, maybe some of you are going through a moment like this now. or Maybe some of you are about to step into one of these moments. Uh, But regardless, this is something that happens to all of us. And so let's see what the the scriptures have to say. Uh, The first one, uh, which I'm going to say is number zero because I wrote down six and decided just uh, an hour ago to put in another one. So point number zero, otherwise I'll get confused. I mean, I couldn't even say morning service and it's written there. So I'll just help myself out here is I think it's important to recognize when these moments are happening. You know, sometimes when life is really crazy, it's really hard to step outside of yourself and recognize what kind of season you're in. And so just the very first thing is just simply acknowledging uh, that you're in one of these moments. And I think Paul does that really beautiful, beautifully here. He, said, he speaks out to, the, uh, to his closest friends and says, look, I know by the Spirit that I'm never going to see you again. And so he calls it. He recognizes the moment that he's in. And it's so important. That's the first thing is to actually recognize what's happening. The second thing that we can learn, or, or point number one, if we're going that way, uh, is um, that the, and the first thing that Paul does when he begins his speech is he chooses to remember the past. You know, Paul, uh, particularly here in verses 18 to 21, Paul begins by sharing, a, remembering some of the struggles that they had, particularly facing the Jews. But he also remembers uh, some of the success. And he, he particularly draws out their reconciliation of Jew and Gentile, the racial reconciliation that happened as a part of their ministry. And they celebrate that. When we come to these crossroad moments, as I've said, we realize often that by stepping into something new, we have to leave something behind. And that can be really difficult. You know, we we recognize that life will never stay the same. But one thing you can always carry with you is the stories. And so when you face these moments, choose to celebrate the past. Choose to remember uh, the good things that God has done uh, in the previous season that you have to leave behind. The second thing that Paul does is he lets go of what is no longer his to hold. We need to let go of what is no longer ours to hold. And in verse 32, he says, I entrust to you God and the message of grace. One of the key markers and key things about Christian discipleship is that the the whole point of Christian discipleship is that we train up and release responsibility to others. You know, I was thinking about this, particularly in a work context, uh, when, we, when we're leaving a job, we can get very attached to the responsibility that we had. And so sometimes it's really difficult to let go of that responsibility as you step into a new season. But if you're doing this process well, then you've got people who are ready to take on the reins after you and you release that responsibility. So uh, number two, uh, let go of what is no longer yours to hold. The, the number three, or point number four, whichever way you're counting it, all the programmers in the room will be right with me starting from zero. Is that anyone? Yes, we've got a few at the back. Thank you. It's just, I feel a sense of kinship with you guys in the tech team now. Um, so number three, don't hide from the emotions. Like I said, this is a very emotional passage. This is a huge 
moment uh, for Paul, for his followers, for his friends. Um, And when we face these moments, we can't switch off from the emotions. And I think there are some of you here right now who need to know that when you face these times, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel the feelings that come with these times of transition. You need to let yourself engage with the process of grieving because it's really healthy. But I think there's some of you here who also need to know that uh, when you're grieving, you can't just sit there. You need to work through the grief. You need to engage with it. You need to do the journey with other people if that's what you need to do. But you can't just sit in the grief and the feelings. You need to, you need to face them head on and you need to work through them so that you can come out the other side. And you know what? When we, when we do engage with the grief of big situations, it gives dignity to the people involved. When we try and hide from our emotions, uh, it, it takes away that dignity. And so uh, engaging with that is actually really important. So number three, uh, don't hide from the emotions. Number four, trust God with everything. You know, Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem is quite odd in many ways. Uh, in the next passage, a, um, a well-known prophet named Agabus uh, basically gives uh, Paul this really awful prophecy about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. And they encourage him not to go, but he goes anyway. And what I think this... uh, And, you know, I'd love to know Paul's discernment process. We don't get a lot of insight into this, apart from the fact he says that he's led by the Spirit. What that looks like in practice, uh, we can find from other parts of the Bible. But anyway... uh, Paul's level of trust in God was so high that he was willing to walk into his own death if that's what God was asking of him. His level of trust was so high that he was willing to walk into prison for the rest of his life, which is what happened, um, if that's what the Lord was willing. And so when we face these situations, when we've done the journey with God, it's so important to put our trust in him and be willing, uh, be willing to own that decision. But I do also just want to caution you that um, here Paul was absolutely certain that this was God's will for his life. He'd done the journey, he'd done the discernment, and he knew that was right. The fifth thing, we're almost there, is um, that Paul, in this, in this time of transition... Paul did the journey really well. There is a wonderful sense of intentionality around what, the way that Paul navigates this farewell. You know, I think uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about uh, what was going on behind the scenes. But the way that Paul has done this, he's gone to a city nearby. He's called the elders to him. And then he's handed over this responsibility. There's just this real sense of him wanting to navigate that process really well. And... And, we, and I think one of, the, one of the fruits of that is that the, even though he never sees them again, the relationship continues. You know, we get uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and we realize that even though he never saw them, he was still pastorally involved in the church. And so I think Paul's willingness to, to walk the journey well, to honor all of the people involved, even though he was never going to see them again, um, is a really uh, wonderful lesson for us here. And the final thing I want to share, number six, is uh, that when it comes time to go, when it comes time to step on the boat, 
step boldly into the future. When the decision's made, when you wet the tears with the people you need to weep with, when you've prayed together and when you've said your farewells, uh, go with confidence. I think what Paul does here is actually incredibly courageous. Um, I was, as I was driving here this morning, I was reminded at that scene right at the end of The Lord of the Rings, some of you might know it, uh, where they all say goodbye. And you kind of wonder, like, why is this story ending this way? Um, but I think it says something very profound, um, that when it's time to go, go. Go in confidence and go knowing that the Lord is with you. I want to finish uh, this morning um, with, a, with just one kind of niggling question uh, that I think deserves to be answered uh, at the end of a message like this, which is, where is the hope in this story? You know, as uh, a vineyard church, we really believe in the theology of the now and the not yet. We believe that uh, sometimes we see God break through in incredible power and, and do things that absolutely blow our minds, and sometimes things are just hard. And the only thing that we have is the assurance of God's presence, even when we can't feel him. So where is the hope uh, in these really difficult transition moments? Well, the way I want to answer that is I want to draw a really interesting parallel between the passage that we've just read and the story of Jesus. Now, I'm not, there's, I'm not going to go through a list of every parallel. Um, you can read that in the Enduring Word commentary on this uh, passage if you want to in your own time. But... The, the parallels between this story and Jesus' uh, Last Supper are quite extraordinary. You know, Paul was going back to Jerusalem uh, to face his own persecution. He predicted his own suffering three times. Like, the parallels between these two passages are amazing. But the key difference is that Paul's story ends with his imprisonment. Uh, and he stays in prison to the end of his life. Jesus' story doesn't end with his death but is completed in his resurrection. And so when we face these difficult moments, when we're thinking, God, this, is, this just hurts, this is hard, I love what you're doing, but, but there's a grief in letting go. The promise that we have in Jesus is resurrection. Now, I can't tell you what that actually looks like, uh, or whether it's going to be on this side of heaven uh, or the next. But I do know that uh, in, G in the resurrection, Jesus embodies uh, a future hope that we have as his followers. And so I think that we can step into these threshold moments knowing that there is a wonderful promise of restoration and reconciliation of all things. And I really believe that it's a restoration and reconciliation of all things. That there will be uh, a redemption for the pain that we feel uh, as we step into the future and let go of the past, I believe that God is working all things together for the good of those who follow him. And so uh, as, we, as we finish in prayer uh, this morning, I would love uh, to just pray uh, that, that resurrection, life and courage and hope into all of us who are facing these moments. So can we stand together? What I would love to do is, if you are, in, in a moment, if you are um, right now in one of these threshold moments, these difficult decision moments, or if you are about to be coming up to one, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand in a moment. Um, as I was praying before the service, I also just felt like 
Um, for some of us, we, we can actually step into the Ephesian elders' shoes. And it's, it's not that we're doing the leaving or the stepping out, but it's that someone major in our lives is stepping out or going through a change and it's affecting us. So if you're one of those three categories of people, can I get you to put your hand up right now? Just wherever you are, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, now, we're not going to make you explain what's going on or anything, so just keep your hand up. But if there's someone near you with the hand up, just stay where you are, um, and let's just stretch out a hand to our friends who are navigating these, these circumstances. There's a few people at the back as well who could do with just a little bit of kind of long-distance prayer love. Um, I'm going to pray over us, and my prayer for us this morning is that we would, even now, we would know the hope of Jesus' re uh, resurrection. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that um, you know all about these moments. Lord, you went through all of this. Lord, when you were sitting down with your disciples, sharing the bread and the wine, you knew what was coming. You knew that you were walking into your death and that things would never look the same. Thank you that you empathize with our situation and you know what it's like. But Lord, we just want to remember that even the grave couldn't hold you down. That even though you were dead for three days, you rose up from the grave. You came back to life. And that that resurrection is the promise that we carry in our hearts in every moment. And so I want to thank you um, that you are a God of resurrection. That you are a God of hope. That you have a promise and a future for every one of us. And even though we might grieve as we step out of an old season and into a new one. That you are there with us and you carry with you, uh, you, you bring with you the promise of hope and the promise of resurrection. And so for those of us who are experiencing that grief and that heartache of needing to let go right now, Jesus, I just want to pray that you would draw close. Lord, that we would feel uh, the, the, the presence that you carry with you, that we would know that you are near, that you are walking hand in hand with us every step of the journey. So come close now, Jesus. Even now, I just want to pray um, that in whatever physical way that we would just be begin to feel your presence. Um, and Lord, I also just want to pray uh, for those of us in those situations that you would just begin to give us a hope. Lord, we don't know uh, what restoration is going to look like. We don't know whether we get it uh, on this side of heaven or the next, but we trust that you are working all things together, that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are powerful, that you are good in all of your ways. So I just want to, we're just going to wait for a moment. Don't, don't begin to pray over people. Let's let the Lord minister uh, to our, our wonderful friends right now. Just just receive the Lord's love. He's just pouring it out right now. Just receive the Lord's love. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray for more. More, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Build us up, Lord. Give us the strength we need.
Thank you, Lord, that you're present. Folks, that's sort of the end of our official uh, festivities for this morning. Um, If you have just been receiving prayer and you want to get more prayer, I'd encourage you to seek that after the service. Find someone that you trust and love who can uh, pray with you. Um, If you had a word or a picture for someone that you were praying with, then I want to encourage you to to go and share that uh, respectfully as well after the service. And um, the, the ministry and the receiving the Spirit doesn't stop now because we're a community. We get to keep doing this, but I'm just going to pass over to Rob and he's going to tell you what needs to happen now. Um, not much to say. Thank you, Chris, for jo- oh. sharing with us this morning. It was Anytime. lovely to have him. Pleasure.